HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. on Cutting the Curd. It's my pleasure to have Tom Milan, author of the Meat Hook Meat, the Meat Hook Meat Book, with me in the studio today. Welcome, Tom. Great to be here. Anyway, first, let me explain uh, to the listeners why I'm including a meat book on Cutting the Curd, a cheese show. It's because I had the distinctive pleasure of meeting Tom Milan when we both worked behind the counter at Murray's Cheese Shop. In what year was it? That would have been 2004 or four. Four? Yeah, it was 2004. Were you in the old store? Did you move to the new store? Yeah, we were at the old store, and then we moved to the new st- moved everything over to the new store, and then. Uh, so that was 04, November 04. Yeah, um, and then I, I left. I think in December. I, I didn't like the new space as much. I like the old, the old one. The old like, cozy space. I don't know, and then like all the like you know like Barbara, you know, it's like you got my basket cheese. <laughs> Anyway, so we have crossed paths many times since, as Tom has made a transition from cheese to meat, from Marlowe and Sons and Diner to owning his own shop, The Meat Hook, uh, which is a few blocks from my house in Williamsburg. So, wow, what a treat to read this book, Tom. I'm glad you liked it. Loved it. Love the way it looks. Love the way it sounds. It's just a great book. Um, While I'm not a meat book expert by any means, this is both an education in all sorts of things. Like, what would you say it's an education in? I mean, it's an education in uh, uh, butchering, farming, you know, understanding uh, just how meat works in general. It's also got a lot of uh, really great recipes uh, I don't know. I, I, I it's it's a really easy to read, fun book uh, that um, is 
or it's it's a it's a complete meat, meat education. Like masquerading is a really like fun cookbook to read. I think yes, it's, it's I really think what it is. It's a great combination because it's also it's like a party in your distinctive voice. Yeah, <laughs> and hilarious and irreverent at the same time, but full of information. Yes. So I think that's great. There are sections, for example, in the book, there's a section called Drinking with the Meat Hook. That's right. And then there's a section by Brent Young on how to throw a barbecue. That's true. Um, and, and both of those sections have uh, disclaimers. Oh, yeah. There's Not a lot of disclaimers in this book. Or, or uh, yeah, just uh, you know, uh, you know, just because you, we're professionals, do not try this at home. Uh, I mean, especially the, uh, especially you know, like the uh, the knives. The, well, I mean, it's not even really the knives. It's it's mostly the the sort of uh, the you know idiocy that we find ourselves getting into. Uh, you know, the, the the drinking with the meat hook chapters, uh, especially the the ice cold dunks, uh, uh-huh. which is a sort of an advanced beer shotgunning technique that involves uh-huh. submerging one's head in icy water until you can't feel your head anymore, and then shotgunning a beer, um, or the bear fights, uh, which are uh, Jaeger bomb and an Irish car bomb, one after another, and then they sort of fight in your stomach. Does the Irish car bomb involve coffee? Uh, Bailey's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, okay. it's, it's traditional. It's, okay. uh, it's Guinness and then a Boilermaker situation with uh, Jameson or another Irish whiskey and uh, Bailey's <laughs> or some other sort of Irish creamish kind of thing. Okay. So how psyched are you about this book? What was the coolest part for you? I mean, I really enjoyed the process of designing it more than the process of writing it. I mean, not that I didn't... In- I don't know. I have never written a book before. I've written some magazine articles here and there, and you know, uh, but uh, I've, I've never, I've never written a book. And the process of you know, get it when you get the first manuscript back, and it's uh, you, you know, there's like squiggles of all kinds of different colored pencils everywhere, and it's all over. the Yeah, place. and it's it's uh, a little it's, depressing. It's a little daunting. Yeah, it's uh, but uh, you know that was difficult. But the designing part, I mean, that was really like uh, what I was most excited about because I we got the chance to to uh, to actually design it like myself and and our designer. Uh, who does all of our logos, Mike Fusco. He just happened to have previously had previously been uh, earlier in his life uh, a, a book packager for the publishing company that we ended up going with. And they, you know, uh, I mean, they were happy for you to work with them. Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, to me, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have allowed us to do that. I think they didn't know us well enough then, uh, <laughs> to, to say no, friends. but, uh, you know, me and Mike, you know, and, and also Michael Harlan Turkle, who's our photographer. And then also our great friend, Kate Bonner, who's our il- amazing illustrator. Um, you know, we all got to like sort of work together and, and, and make this as, uh, you know, uh, visually, you know, sort of psychedelic as we mm-hmm. possibly could, because I, I don't know, I just feel like a lot of cookbooks out, out there, you know, look the same. And I, I just didn't see a point in doing a, a, a cookbook, whether it was about meat or whatever, uh, that uh, was just uh, sort of run of the mill. Well, yeah, I just, you know, um, this <laughs> might be my only chance at So we, we really decided, you know, so you're fuck it. For it, let's do it, you know, um, and, uh, well, one of my questions is, where did those crazy, that crazy Earth and Stars background come from for the animal part pictures? They're, for every animal, you divide up into butchering sections, yeah, so th- and there's an Earth and Stars yeah. behind it. Yeah, the, and those are all um, actually f- 
from their high-res images straight from the NASA website. So those are all downloaded okay. from NASA. Those are actual pictures of space. They're not uh, okay. photoshopped together or anything like that. It's literally the meat is sort of exploding and floating okay. in space. Uh, you <laughs> know, whose idea was that? That was that was mine. Okay. I you know I I was sort of brainstorming different ways to make it because uh, I didn't want to do a lot of actual like. Uh, you know, hands and you know, pink blobs of meat and right, knife and right. cutting board kind of stuff, because I, you know, the, ours is not the the first sort of like modern butchering book, and I mean, you know, and uh, I felt a little weird about that. First, we really wanted to be like, oh, the first like of the new wave butcher shop people to have a cookbook, but it was really great that we weren't the first because we got to look at other cookbooks and you know, and the the people that really focus on butchering techniques. Um, you know, it, it just it was uh, visually a little uh, of you know the same old same old like it was just like very right, visually you repetitive. You can't avoid some of it. No, you can't avoid it at all. Um, but we I, I, we decided to sort of go. I was trying to think of a way to sort of like show how animals came apart um, in a way that was where you could just look at it and you could sort of like your mind could just have like this sort of gestalt and, mm-hmm. and it was all, and also like the idea of like having it like exploding and in space, actually the, the in space part was, uh, that, that idea was actually, uh, Judy Prey, my editor, she was like, and we, we, we they could be in space and we, and, and <laughs> me and Mike Fusco were like, yeah, totally in space. <laughs> um, and that's, that's actually where that idea came from. That wasn't even my idea. Um, I did not immediately get that looking at the floating um, sections that that you meant that they were exploding in space. Well, I mean, it, it was just showing them, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, I, like before I moved to New York, I really like I owned a lot of old cars and I was mm-hmm. really into uh, old car manuals and a big, you know, thing that like old car manuals, you, you know, used to do back in like the 50s and 60s is show like an engine or a transmission sort of like exploded. So you ah, could see okay. how all the parts like came apart Put and together. went together okay. and uh, what their context was. And so that's, you were coming from that school of thought. Yeah. I'm, you know, I was very much coming from, you know, I'm very, like I think the most inspirational book for me when it like is not actually a cookbook is actually a, a, a book by a guy named John Muir who is a, f- a former uh, naval uh, atomic engineer mm-hmm. um, who you know uh, tuned in dropped out and uh, sort of uh, made a new life for himself in this hippie uh, New Mexico situation in the mm-hmm. 60s and he wrote this amazing book called uh, How to Keep Your Volkswagen Alive for the Complete Idiot and uh uh, I owned a lot of air-cooled Volkswagens over the years, and, and that book was the book that like taught me how to become a mechanic. I have uh-huh. no natural mechanical aptitude, mm-hmm. and I sort of uh, wanted to apply a little bit of that um, visual methodology to the book because, you know, obviously, like if you're buying a book on butchering, you might not know anything about it, um, and and I and uh, so I, you know, of course, like uh, like like any uh, true artist, you you know, steal from your betters. Right. Right. And it seems like what makes a person a good mechanic might be similar to what makes a person a good butcher. Oh, I, I don't believe. I don't believe. I mean, I think that people have natural aptitudes for things, but uh, but I, I think that anyone can do anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how it's explained to them. You know, mm-hmm. some people uh, are visual learners. Some people are, you know, like learn by reading things. Uh, some people learn by doing. Um, you know, I try to do. I try to incorporate like the sort of visual learning and the, you know. Uh, 
you know, uh, in, incorporate something mm-hmm. for for people that you know learn by reading and right. and also just like making it not a big deal. I th- I really like the conversational tone that uh, that keeping your Volkswagen alive uh, book had, and it, it it wasn't trying to make uh, being a mechanic like some sort of like uh, uh, next level voodoo stuff that no one very few can ab- obtain. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel the same way about uh, bu- you know butchering. Mm-hmm. I, I I knew less than nothing about butchering when I sort of got drafted into. Uh, uh, this this vocation of mine, mm-hmm. and uh, so I know that anyone can become. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a humble approach. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if I can do it, anybody can. To let the me. listeners know, the the book is a combination of butchering instructions, recipes, lots of stories, especially about Brooklyn restaurants that you've kind of come to know food in. It sounds like. Yeah. It has a lot of our friends and, you know, uh, old friends and neighbors, uh, both their recipes and, like, little blurbs about their, you know, little mini chapters about uh, their restaurants, like Roberta's, you know, the place right. where... Roberta's where we're, we're recording in, and yep. Pot Liquor, which is a favorite of yep. mine, and yep. uh, Roebling Tea House. Uh, yeah, Ro- uh, Roebling, uh, and also uh, Vinegar Hill House. Uh-huh. Um, there's a recipe from them in there. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, how did... How did the format evolve? How did the idea start out? Well, I mean, it's it started out actually. You know, I, I when I f- first started butchering, I was like sort of uh, alone in this weird little refrigerated shack behind the diner mm-hmm. uh, on the south side of Brooklyn, like you know, cutting up meat and uh, prepping stuff. You know, uh, ten, twelve hours a day, five, six days a week, and by myself, just me and like a radio. And so, like, my mind kind of wandered while I was sort of doing these monotonous things. And I started thinking, you know, at that time there wasn't really there was no new butchering books. Like the the most useful book I found was like actually a nineteen forty three book put out by the Department of the Navy about butchering. And uh so there there was very little information in print out at that point that I could find anyway. And well, so probably a um you know, apprentice kind of yeah, very much so. Like the type of butchering that I was trying to learn to do was, it, you know, it's a very sort of taught by people. Yeah, it's 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 passed on from one person to another. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was, is I only had I only had like six weeks of my life to sort of like spend. Um, up at, uh, yeah, I was I learned from Josh Appleson and Aaron Lenz up at Fleischer's in Kingston, and I, I had a very short time. You know, I, I was there basically, you know, seven days a week for you know six weeks. Um, you know, 12 hours a day, like learning, but that's really just not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had all these questions and luckily there was YouTube and there was a little bit of information on YouTube, but I really started to sort of fantasize about like what would be the, the perfect, um, you know, butchering book to, um, to learn yourself, to learn yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, and that idea is just like uh, slowly evolved over the years. And by the time, uh, we, you know, by the time I was in a position where I had like an agent that I was happy with, um, and she was helping me like put together the proposal, like I had tweaked it a little bit. It, it st- stopped being because there were at that point, you know, there were books on the actual like um, the 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 you know the sort of. Uh, more modern butchering? Well, just on the minutiae of okay. butchering, which would have been really helpful for me. But, like, I think for the average person, um, the minutiae can get a little boring. Mm-hmm. So I tried to make, um, when putting together the book, you know, putting together the book that is in front of you now, um, I, I really tried to think of making each recipe sort of 
have hidden inside of it um, a butchering technique so mm-hmm. that you were there was a point to doing yes, it and, yes. and it made it and it would make it less tedious and you explain it usually within the recipe or at the beginning of the exactly. recipe what what the point is and what you're doing or what piece you're using right or. but ultimately the, the 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 point is to like make this recipe that you know uh, is beautifully photographed and, and looks really delicious mm-hmm. so you're you're doing it towards that end instead of like sort of butchering for butchering sake and i think that that might make it uh, a little bit more useful and uh, more interesting for like the, the you know the average home cook. Though there's a lot of techniques in there for people that are you know more advanced or or just into the butchering. It's it, you know really trying to uh, strike a happy medium between uh, being fun and. And, 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 and being informational. Yeah, I think a lot of different people might want to buy the book for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that there's a, a lot of books out there that are you know, on one side of that or the other. I think that we hopefully have done like a, a really good job of like splitting the difference in a way that uh, isn't giving short shrift to um, either the informational or the sort of like entertaining, mm-hmm. uh, fun, you know, uh, eye candy aspect. Okay. Okay, we have to take a break now. It's Diane Stemple and Tom Milan on Cutting the Curd. We'll be back in a few. Farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. Hi, it's Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. I'm sitting here with Tom Milan, author of The Meat Hook Meat Book, uh, subtitle, Buy, Butcher, and Cook Your Way to Better Meat. Um, hi, Tom. How's it going? It's pretty good. So do you miss selling cheese at all? Oh, of course. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. My my wife brings home, uh, you know, cheese from, you know, we, we're, we're lucky enough to live in a neighborhood that have that has, you know, two really great cheese shops, uh, Campbell Cheese and, and Bedford Cheese and... Uh, uh, you know, she she brings home cheese, uh, you know, here and like every once in a while, and you know, we eat it, and I'm just like, oh my god, I miss this so much, and <laughs> I you know, I don't recognize the cheeses anymore. Right. You know, it used to be like there's used a lot to be of a, new ones. Yeah, it used to be a much smaller world, and I I, I feel sort of uh, out of my depth now with cheese, but uh, mm-hmm. I definitely do do miss it, and every time I you know 
uh, eat a you know really great piece of cheese. I, I uh, you know we were in Paris for our sort of second honeymoon. We went to uh, uh, Marie Canten. Is mm-hmm. that the name of that cheese shop? Um, Something like that. Yeah, and uh, just walking in there, just like wow, just completely blown away. Like having. You know all of those amazing raw milk cheeses, and you know, like mm-hmm. actually going to a cheese shop in right. France where, like, right. you can, you know, actually have all these things that we sort of like, you know, covet, and you know, you know mm-hmm. people sneak into the country here. Um, <laughs> that warms my heart to know you miss cheese. Oh man, so much. <laughs> um, when you first gravitated toward meat, what were the big differences? Well, I, I mean, uh, it's. It's it's not so much that I gravitated towards me. I just sort of expanded from what I learned from you know, especially local cheese here in New York. And uh, once I left Murray's and went to work for uh, uh, Andrew Tarlow and Mark Firth uh, at Marlow and Sons, um, partially as a manager, but uh, also as a as a person that would that would help them source um, local, not just local cheeses, but local dairy, local eggs for their uh, store. For the store, mm-hmm. for the restaurants, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, once that was sort of happening, and they saw that, like the you know the quality, because they were really dubious about American cheese, mm-hmm. um, but no longer. No, no, not no. at all. No, I mean, like Andrew's some really of our best uh, supporters. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Andrew took a lot of convincing, um, but you know, I uh, started bringing in some stuff from uh, uh, Mateo mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, Sprout Creek and, you know, uh, Cato Corner, places mm-hmm. like that, that I had, you know, uh, sold, so- and- sold and eaten a lot of at Murray's. And that actually was kind of the gateway to them sort of giving me enough, room to, uh, enough rope to sort of hang myself when it came to sourcing meat. And they were like, <laughs> okay, well, you've really succeeded at this. Uh, we need, you know, meat for the hamburger at diner. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was, you know, roaming around. I, I uh, found. Weren't they always local meat centric, though? I mean, no, no, they no. weren't. Oh, okay. No, I, did I mean, not realize that. Uh, Carolyn Fidanza, who was their chef up until you know uh, two thousand six, two thousand seven, mm-hmm. um, because she came from Savoy. She was very, you know, locally mm-hmm. oriented. The, the right. problem was it, it was it was difficult to get um, the like. Pl- you know, get places to deliver to Brooklyn, even if even though it was just right over the bridge. I mean, huh. we, we couldn't get the, you know, the local produce guy Jones and people like that. Um, and to the to the point in which they actually rented a refrigeration truck and were driving it up to uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, to buy produce once a week for Diner and Marlowe and Sons mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point when there was absolutely no distribution. Wow, um, and that must be very different now. Oh, yeah, incredibly different. <laughs> I mean, not I mean, delivering to Brooklyn is, is oh, it, a wild idea. Yeah, it's a completely different world now. Um, but Are I they mean, scared of Brooklyn? I don't know. I don't. I mean, it, it, it was just like, uh, you know, I think it, what, what it was is there just weren't that many restaurants that were uh-huh. interested uh-huh. Um, that were willing to, like, pay the price point and, like, uh-huh. deal with, like, seasonality and the fact that it might, like, be dirty or have some bugs on it or right. something like that. Um, but, you know, they, they sort of started with the produce and then, you know, uh, wanted me to help with the meat, and I, you know, sort of uh, found Josh and Jessica, who at the time uh, had opened Fleischer's uh, up in Kingston, just a couple years before, and uh, we started buying ground beef, and then we started buying some other things, and at a certain point, you know, uh, 
Josh was like, look, we can't sell you any, like, we can't do this anymore. We, we've run the numbers and we're losing money selling you guys ground beef and already cut up, you know, portion steaks and whatever. He's like, I'm happy to sell you meat, but I can only sell you it hanging weight. So half steers, whole So someone pigs. has to learn to cut it. Yeah, exactly. And so, that was you. Yeah. Uh, so they were like, <laughs> Did okay. Did you step, step up? Did, were you happy to volunteer? Well, I mean, the, the thing of it is, is like butchering was not a cool thing then. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and so no one wanted to become the butcher. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, nobody wanted to go upstate and to be trained and whatever. So I was kind of stuck. If, I, if, if this program was going to work, mm-hmm. there needed to be somebody to butcher. And, it, and I was the only person that, like, had any desire to do it. So mm-hmm. um, I, you know... Basically, like, uh, so you fell into it. I literally really? fell into it. I, you know, was basically like, you know, I, I took a huge pay cut and I moved upstate uh-huh. and lived with Josh and Jessica for you know six weeks and learned how to, a little bit how to mm-hmm. cut. And the next thing I know is in this little tin shack, you know, mm-hmm. refrigerated tin shack behind the diner, um, with like you know uh, a whole steer and you know three pigs and a couple whole lambs like rolling in every week and then figuring out with the uh, chefs at Diner and Marlowe, like, what to do with all these different parts. Right. Know, because before that... Oh, because you had the whole thing. Yeah. I right. mean, you know, you have to... And and, and I, I don't know. I think that kind of informs the book. Uh, th- that trial and error with the chefs really informs the book. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's not coming from theory. It's not coming from some book I read. It's literally stuff that we did trial and error that went out on the floor and, like, people ate it and either said, like, this sucks or this is amazing, you know, every single night. And it was this continuous, like... What are we going to do? All these fucking beef shanks. What are we going to do with this right, thing? What are we, right. you know, because you. So can't... there's a learning curve for both you and the chefs together. Yeah, no, it was very much we were mm-hmm. in it together. Like mm-hmm. me and Sean and mm-hmm. and Dave uh, and Carolyn were like really in it together, and we had to like invent ways to like cook every mm-hmm. single part of it. What do you do with a fucking pig head? What do right. you do with like a beef shank? You right. know, what do you do with like pig feet? You know, because you can't just throw it out. Right. Right. You, know, you pay, mm-hmm. you know, it costs the same whether it's a foot or a shank or a mm-hmm. or a beef heart or whatever. Right. It all costs the same amount of money per mm-hmm. pound. Um, so you have to get as much as you can out of it. Yeah, you can't. I mean, you can't throw it away. So you learned nose to tail before it was cool. Well, I mean, I think nose to tail was was cool. I mean, Fergus Anderson, thank you so much for writing that <laughs> nice blurb on the front. I mean, Fergus Anderson went a long way towards making that cool um, uh-huh. with his nose to tail book. Um, that had come out a couple years before this whole thing transpired, okay. um, but there there was there were not that many people actually practicing mm-hmm. it in New York mm-hmm. or in the United States as as far as I uh, as far as I know at that mm-hmm. at that time. And you know, we learned the only way that you can really learn anything and, and truly know it, like complete trial and error, mm-hmm. and just um, coming up with some theories and trying to do some research and then applying it and seeing how it comes out and see mm-hmm. how like people who are expecting a real high level of you taste. know taste and uh-huh. and you know texture and quality and flavor uh, see how they respond to it and, right. and that was that was really you know uh, that I think that that process really lies at the heart mm-hmm. of, of, of this the book, book. Yeah. yeah and the beginning a lot of, of the success book, and a lot of failure <laughs> you name some some pieces of meat, secreto, mm-hmm. oyster steak, the pear. I've never heard of them, and I've never really seen them at the meat hook. Oh, the secreto is usually there. Oh, okay. Is yeah. it in the case, or do you have it's to ask for case. it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, what we put in the case is very seasonal. Okay. Um, so 
during the summertime, you'll see like a cut, like the pear or the oyster. I mean, the oyster steak's always in the case. Um, okay. The problem is there's not that many per animal. A right. lot of these cuts that are like weird cuts, mm-hmm. there's only maybe like enough to feed two people on an entire steer, and we're only bringing in three to five steers a week. So, right. you know, that's like 10 steaks. Will you have your uh, customers who love those pieces who you save them for? Or, you know, are people yeah, absolutely. pear fanatics? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we have, we have a. a, a um, three or four people that are really you know into like the oyster steak or really into this cut and uh, or you know we have a lot of people that are really into beef heart which um uh, is actually you. it's what it's it's one of those things where like people think of it as awful and what it really is if you treat it properly and marinate it, it's actually a really amazing steak mm-hmm. um it's it's not like liver or kidneys or something like that that has that kind of organy gross mm. flavor um but we have people that you know, uh, we have standing orders every week. Like, you know, we have a guy that comes in for all the beef kidneys, mm-hmm. a guy that comes in mm-hmm. for the beef art, a guy that, you know. Restaurants or, or regular people? Regular people. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, cool. we, don't, we, we don't do um, a whole lot of restaurants. Okay. Um, we, we, you know, because that was kind of the thing when we left Marlow and Daughters. Um, we really want – Marlow and Daughters was very – Restaurant centric. It mm-hmm. was really like about giving the restaurants what they wanted, uh, Diner Marlowe, and and really sort of like leaving the customer with kind of like whatever the, they didn't right. want, um, mm-hmm. uh, which was um, a little difficult. Okay. Uh, so your mission was different. Yeah, our mission from the was start. our mission was to be uh, customers first, and mm-hmm. you know, the, like the you know any restaurants that we might sell to, uh, v- very much secondary. Okay, okay. Now, in the world of food, I was expecting we'd have more time to talk about this. Things are getting more and more political. What do you see as the most important issues in in meat or in in your realm? I mean, I think the single most important thing is that. Um, I mean, I think you have people like Michael Pollan and, and others who are really, like, uh, calling to the fore the sort of lack of initiative on the part of, you know, the government or the whatever. Uh, obviously, the government, the governmental system and the, and the big corporation system is completely, like, broken. Mm-hmm. And I and, you know, the, the sort of, like, raison d'etre of the meat hook and, you know, all of the little weird restaurant scene and, and everything that's going on um, – that I think really is making a significant difference in the United States. Those are all systems that are like not trying to like fight that Goliath and instead just like walking away and deciding to do something. Being uh, a smaller system on the side. Exactly. For a certain like, amount of people. Yeah. Seeking the alternative. And, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. You see now, now you see uh, more progressive uh, supermarkets like Whole Foods, you know, they're starting to move towards like pasture raised animals and grass fed beef. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas. Or at least marking it. You know, noting which is which. Exactly. Um, but they, they definitely, you know, see that as a growth potential. And I think that, like, uh, it's it's our job as, you know, uh, purveyors of meat and it's and the, and the job of the people that are consuming it who care about that to, like, support that alternate system. Um, because that alternate system uh, it is, is going to lead the industry away from its, its like, not like undesirable practices, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the most important thing. I, I think you can beat your head against the wall about you know politics, and I, I, I just don't see like you know 
writing letters and uh, you know yelling at people as like really it's it's just not productive. I think it's it, it's really frustrating and it, I think it w- it burns a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. And I just I just don't see that as productive. I think it's it's much more productive to imagine the world that you want to live in and make that happen. Mm-hmm. And and if you do. Uh, you'll show that world to more people, and more people will agree with you, and mm-hmm. and and you know, like you know, join that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know. And I, at I, the Meat Hook, you've really established a, a new world. Oh, absolutely. For your customers and, and well, it's not just the Meat Hook. It's, the you know, neighborhood. We, you know, we have a new sandwich shop. Uh, Opening up, we have uh, a restaurant that's seasonal that's out in the Rockaways called Rippers, mm-hmm. and and so we're, we're not just like the butcher shop where you come and like buy your like sort of Michael Pollan approved like hundred percent grass fed ribeye or something. You can also like go and get like a burger at the beach, or you can get like a hoagie, mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's you know, and that's kind of like in a you know our philosophy in a nutshell. Whether it's the book or the shop or or the the restaurants is like you know good food should be fun. Mm-hmm. It's not like this sort of like uh, self flagellant you know right. sort of like uh, pain and misery liberal guilt thing. I don't I don't think you know it's uh, you know the bees with honey that kind of thing. Like uh, it's it's much better to put forward a like a fun and desirable uh, way of being. Offering. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Did you ever suspect in your early twenties you would be no. running a business? No, and <laughs> no, I, 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 no, I never or thought write I'd write a book about it. No, I never thought I'd write a book. I never <laughs> thought that I'd be a butcher. I never thought I'd be a small business owner. I never thought I'd live in New York. Were you an English major? I was an English major, and then I, you know I uh, you know I was really broke, and so I, I worked full time. I actually worked for Whole Foods. Um, you know, I worked for Whole Foods like five days a week, and then I like you know squeezed in all my schooling around that, and uh, so I didn't have a lot of time to actually write. Um, and but you know, one of the things that in my uh, girlfriend at the time was an art major, and. Uh, you know, I, I found art much more fun because I could do a whatever I wanted. You uh-huh. know, because I guess I'm like I have like a sort of anti, uh, I, I have a sort of like anarchist streak, <laughs> um, and I could do it whenever time I want. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. can do pretty um, like actually, I think you do better art at three o'clock in the morning than you do at like noon, and mm-hmm. that was the thing that really appealed to me. I was like, all right, I'm gonna shit can all this like I, I you know writing the great, great american novel and i'm gonna like do abstract painting and you know performance art because mm-hmm. it was just a lot easier to do with like no sleep and maybe uh-huh. you know slightly like uh half crocked did you write this book at three in the morning i wrote this uh at three in the morning i wrote it at three in the afternoon i i wrote it like Whenever you could. Whenever I could, I like you know I squeeze it in. Actually, this, almost this entire book was uh, written in the backyard uh, of uh, my friend Alicia's bar, Tuffet. On, I saw that uh, just today. Yeah, yeah. On, on Graham Avenue. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I that was you know that's great. Wi-Fi and stuff. I just, well, the, beautiful the backyard. writing and the voice of the book is part of the pleasure, and it's delightful. I'm to glad you like it. See you again and talk about the Meat Hook Meat Book. Good to see you. Uh, Goodbye to Tom Milan. This is Cutting the Curd, Diane Stemple. I'll be back in a month with another book. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>